Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Great. Well, welcome to another episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. It'll just be myself today and a great guest, a special guest, uh, Kit Vincent is joining us today. And let me tell you just briefly about Kit and then I'll let him add to it and we'll talk about his background and how he got to where he's at at today. Uh, Kit is a co-founder of Franchise Manuals, or they also go by Franman. And they're dedicated to providing uh, you, the the professional or the business owner who's looking about franchising or looking into franchising, I should say. They provide professional franchise operations manuals at an affordable cost in as little as 90 days. And I'm going to have Kid get into that as we get into this conversation. But Kid has an extensive marketing background. He has over 20 years of experience. His resume includes stops at corporations such as Hillenbrand Industries, Service Corp International, Infinity Broadcasting, so a broad range from advertisement to financial services and manufacturing, broad range and background that Kit brings to bear, not only for his clients, but obviously what helped him to form his own business. Kit earned an MBA from the American Graduate School of International Management, which is also known as the Thunderbridge School of Global Management. That was back in 94. Uh, His studies included international marketing and Spanish, which is interesting. I did not know that. Uh, I'm fluent in Spanish as well. Uh, He combined his studies uh, with stops at the University of London in London, England, and in Antigua, Guatemala, which is, I'm sure, where you got to practice your Spanish. Um, Kit's uh, entrepreneurial ventures and his experience working for Fortune 500 companies have given him a unique perspective, and certainly he's going to share with us how that led to forming his current company. So with that, Kit, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. And if you could just add to that background, add a little bit more color on yourself, although we're going to get into specifically how you got to be an entrepreneur, but yourself and franchise manuals, if you would. Thank you, Henry. Um, I don't know what I can add to that. That was a very thorough introduction. Um, You covered my education and my background. Um, I am Marketing and operations was kind of my background and in sales. And um, so when when I was trying to I, I kind of got pigeonholed into an industry back in the in the 90s and the early 2000s, I got pigeonholed into the death care industry where I started oh, working for Hillenbrand Industries is the largest casket manufacturer in the world. Oh. And uh, and so when I got a. Let me back up. When I came out of graduate school, my father-in-law at the time was a funeral home owner and uh, or man- manager, and so he said, "Hey, Kit, while you're looking for a job, why don't you come here and sell pre-arranged funerals for us? Mm-hmm. It's an insurance product, so you get your insurance license." And and uh, and so I I was doing that as I was looking for a job, and before I found a job, I was promoted and moved along, and I decided to stay with it. And from there, I went to casket company, and this to get on with this company was difficult and. Uh, and uh, it was a it was an honor because they didn't hire just anybody, very few positions and good pay. So I took that and I stayed in the death care industry. Uh, at some point, I wanted to get out and I, and I tried to get out a few times and it's really hard to do that. And uh, mm. and so um, I went 
I went to work for a company, a, a radio station. So I'm going to change industries. I'm going to start from the ground up. And because there's I'm, no one was listening to me, and so and so <laughs> I started it from the ground up in radio sales. And uh, from there, I was I would run into these leads all the time. My brother's a franchise attorney, and uh, so I would run into these companies. I said, "Oh, this is a neat company. They need to be franchising." So I'd call my brother up and say, "Hey, you you need to talk to these guys." And uh, and he'd say, "Well, you know, I'm kind of kind of busy." I said, "All right." So one it, one of the, it was one of these calls one day when I called him up. I think it was Bib and Tuckers. I had. I thought Bib and Tucker's was a neat concept. It's a dry cleaning company that replaces your buttons and does goes the extra mile on dry cleaning. And so I called him up about that. And I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Well, I just sent my a client out to have a manual written." And I had worked in operations for a casket, another casket company. I had worked as in operations, and so I had written their operations manual. And I said, "Well, I've done that. Why don't, why don't you do that?" He goes, "Well, it's too time consuming and and and." Uh, I just don't want to do it. I said, well, "What are they getting these days for ops manuals?" And he told me, and I nearly fell out of I nearly <laughs> fell out of my chair. It's like, "Are you kidding me? That's what the charge?" He says, "Yep." I said, "Well, we can do this." And he goes, "Well, let's do it." So we spent about six months, kind of um, off and on, fleshing out uh, an outline and and kind of getting the ideas and concepts, the, the 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 meat and potatoes of the company together. And we said, "Let's just as soon as he has another client that needs a manual, that's when we're going to create the company and do all that stuff. Get with that money. We're going to buy the computers and do and do everything we needed to to do." And it wasn't a few months later that he had a company that needed one. And uh, he says we gave him a discount because he was our first one. And he said, "All right, we'll do it." And uh, we wrote his manual and used that money to buy the big color laser printer. And because at that time we thought we were going to print these manuals and. And uh, you know what? About a month later, we got another client, another two clients, and about a month later, we got another one, and we just get, we hadn't looked back since. Fantastic! That's fascinating. Fantastic. What, what year was that we're talking Let's about? See, two thousand and five was when we created the the company. So this would have been April two thousand and five. So we probably started this in two thousand and four. Started the the idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thanks for giving us that, that additional sure. uh, commentary there in background. And, and then just curiously, before we get into the specific questions, the way I came to meet you is an interesting story. We happen to both be cyclists, uh, road cyclists, and you and I met a few years ago on a group ride here in Coppell, Texas. <laughs> Absolutely. And at the time, I was looking for – I was starting to look at selling one of my businesses, and I forget how we got on the topic, but – you seem to be somebody who knew possibly a broker. You hooked me up with someone who then referred me to somebody else, and I ended up using. That's how that was I ended Jerry up finding Darnell, him. right? He's, Darnell, he's the guy that's right. Has all the contact. He's, he's the most connected man I've ever met. It's amazing, and I listened to your podcast with him. By the way, after we we spoke, it's a great podcast to listen to, and I'll I'll be sure to include in the show notes a link to your podcast because that one's worth listening to, definitely. Um, but that goes to show you exactly that, and you talk about it in that episode that networking and who you know and those relationships that you build over time are so critical and really come into play once, especially once you become a business owner, don't they? I believe so, and I kind of. Didn't pay attention too much to that at first. I saw Facebook and LinkedIn. LinkedIn was a little bit different, but I saw Facebook and before that it was MySpace as um, something that the kids did. And, and I didn't see a need for it for my company. It would be different if I had a restaurant or a, or a food truck. Um, if I had a food truck, I would be tweeting every day where I'm going to be so I could pull the, the, 
pull the clients in or if I had a retail lo- location. It makes a lot of sense. But it, but it, I didn't feel like it made a lot of sense for me to do a lot of social networking. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until Jerry had been hounding me. He's like, Kit, you've got to get on the ball here. And I, he would kept sending me these um, recommendations to connect with people on Facebook, and, and I would just let them go. <laughs> Finally... Yeah. Finally, I just said, you know what, I need, I need to do this. And so yeah. I spent, it was, it was like a light switch clicked on me, and I spent probably a week going through all of Jerry's contacts, the people that I might know, and inviting people in, and, and being active on Facebook. Because in franchising, that's where a lot of the franchise vendors, um, uh, people that, that have influence, that can influence clients that might need operations manuals. That's where they hang out. It's not as much LinkedIn as it is Facebook. Interesting. And, uh, and uh, boy, I got involved, and, and I haven't regretted it ever since. Fantastic, fantastic. All right, well, let's dive into it. I want to start with understanding a bit more about your entrepreneurial journey, and you already gave us a, a great snippet of that or, or view into that. So let me ask a, a variant of the first question, which is, you you share with us how you went from the death care industry and then somewhat stumbled onto this idea with your brother mm-hmm. and made a business out of it. But what drove you? Do you think to entrepreneurship? What was it in you? Was that was that there early on? Your your dad's influence. What drove you to <laughs> wanting to be an entrepreneur? Probably influenced by my father or my grandfather sure. and my father. Uh, my grandfather was a was was the quintessential businessman. The he was he's a true rags to riches story out of the depression american rags to riches story uh went from making you know 12 dollars a month living in a room above a florist uh in the 30s uh, sending sending most of that home to his family in in uh, sweetwater texas uh worked his way up from from there and and uh doing jobs being an entrepreneur uh, finding out what needed to be done where the money was to be made and uh, and eventually got into oil field supply, built that up, sold it for millions of dollars in the 60s, kind of created the family fortune. And uh, and he's always been a hero of mine. And my father has taken over that position and, uh, and, and carried the baton very well. So I've always been very proud of him and very proud to be his son. And so I feel that I've got a connection to uh, to that entrepreneurial gene through my grandfather and my father. So it was it was right off the bat when I came out of when I came out of college. Before I even went to college, I couldn't even go to college at first. I tried and I, and I failed out the first three the first three times I went. It's like I need to be out there doing things. This being in college didn't didn't fit me at the time, and uh, it took a few failures and dust uh, picking yourself up and dusting yourself off before I figured out okay I need to go to college and I did that and by that time I had two kids and and uh and went back to college and turned all my D's and F's into A's and B's and did that while I was working full time excuse me I did that while I was working full time and and uh, had a wife two kids full time job and full time college uh came out of that uh, brought my GPA up from a Whatever it was, a 1.6 to a 3.6, and then, and then went straight into grad school, and uh, that's you know I knew that's what I needed for people to take me seriously and to and to, and to just ed- educate myself. You can't mm-hmm. you can't come out of high school and think you've got everything you need in order to, for someone to take you seriously and in order to be productive. Yeah. Does that answer your Fantastic. question? I kind of went yeah, no, absolutely. 
No, no, no. That's great stuff. So when you were in the corporate world, did it keep keep just eating at you or was that still there? Did you look at it as I'm going to learn as much as I can here and then eventually find the thing that I'll do myself? Is that what was in your head at that time? There's there's so many hours in the day that you can earn a dollar and and that's it. And it doesn't matter how much money you make per hour. You're still limited by the number of hours in the day. And so, you know, I'm not raking in billions of dollars over here, but I do have control over my income and and I have and the prospect of of building taking this company to the next level and the next level with an exit strategy and cashing in, that's there. And that'll that would never be there if I was sitting behind a desk at a selling ads at a radio station or or working in working for this casket company or doing whatever I'm doing. And that's what drives me to be an entrepreneur. I just I don't want that limit of the number of hours per day to limit my income. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I get that completely. That was part of my motivation as well. Um, and you've hit it right on the nail. So that's perfect. That's I think that resonates with our listeners as well. So you, you shared how you ended up with uh, starting Franchise Manual. So I, I got that, um, which is a fantastic story. Let's let's kind of take a, a little bit of a right turn. You're obviously, as you mentioned, as to how you got into the business and you're currently in business with your brother. So partnerships is a big topic for our listeners, for myself. I'm in various partnerships, have been in partnerships with friends and with my brother as well. Uh, how have you made that work? What are some of the keys to making that work? <laughs> my brother it did not want to take an active role in the business. And, Interesting. And so he I, he brought a lot of credibility at the beginning and and help help me obviously get the first client and 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 um as a franchise attorney he's a franchise attorney when he's on the bill on the website helped us bring in more clients and he was always there to answer my questions and uh, help pick me up you know one of our in our first year of business we got a call from Shell Oil Company in Houston and they wanted to talk about franchising their their um some of their quick change oil places. And I don't, I don't remember what the concept was at the time, but I remember being scared to death. It's like, listen, mm-hmm. who am I? I don't know what the heck I'm doing. That's, we just started this business. And he said, man, he goes, don't worry about it. He goes, the bigger they are, the less they have their ducks in a row. Wow. And that interesting, that's an insight right there. It is. But you know, he's been there. The, the point is that he was, a, he was moral support <laughs> for me. And sure enough, we got in there and he told me, he goes, when you sit down across that table from them, you've done this more than they have, even though you've only done it three times at this point, you've still done it more than they have. You'll be the expert in the room. And sure enough, um, you know, you, you draw from these reservoirs deep in, and you, you just kind of button up and get it done. And, uh, and things like that are what he was there for initially. And, uh, and so he was a silent, more of a silent partner, and uh, I didn't have some of the struggles that some people have when you have two different people with um, slightly with slight with different variations of a vision for the direction of the company. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to struggle with that. And I'm very thankful. I'm very grateful yeah, because it's, it would could have been difficult. Yeah, that's that's huge. That's a huge takeaway there. I think for for myself and for listeners. Um, so tell me now that you've been at it for a while, what uh, what would you say are some of the keys to your business success? What are some of the things that stand out? Gosh, to me, from the beginning, 
and obviously I'm not I've not been perfect at this, but from the beginning we wanted to be the best in the industry. And everybody does. Uh, but we I was fortunate enough to be in an industry that didn't have a lot of players in it. Um you can probably if you can count on one hand, if there are enough to even fill up a hand, the number of companies that, that produce franchise operations manuals. And and then if you reduce that to the number of companies that only produce that specialize in producing franchise operations manuals, there may be none. Uh, we may be the only company that specializes in it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so, having said that, though, I still wanted to. I wanted to be that. I wanted Franman to the the brand Franman to stand for world class franchise operations manuals. Because we're not giving these things away. Uh, we charge a pretty penny for these things. And they take a long time to write. Uh, they're very thorough and they're very, they're very, they're very complete. And, and they represent – every client's manual represents their system standards. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so when somebody – when I say what the price is, and I want them to know, uh, they're, it costs that much because they're getting the best product on the market. And, uh, and so that was important to me. So I think that's a secret to success is no matter what. Now, there, you've stu- I've stumbled a few times and we've not delivered. And there's been one time when I had to – we got overbooked and I just ended up giving their client their money back. Says, I'm sorry. I cannot deliver to you what you want. Here's your money back. That's only happened one time. But the, but mm-hmm. the fact is that even if you do strive for perfection, you're, you're not going to get it and you got to – understand that and keep on going but i think that's one of the keys uh the hardest thing i've had to do is is um is really focus on on um managing time management is the hardest part i think and i think i would i would be way ahead of where i am right now if i could do that better um the business model of Franman is in home offices so everyone that works with Franman works out of their out of their house which includes me. We don't we don't have brick and mortar and and we don't need it. Uh, the way with technology, with internet, with email, with this, you know, I can I can communicate with clients just like we're communicating right now. I don't need to be, I don't need to have an office. And so it makes it it presents a big challenge, which is, hey, you know what? The dryer just went off. I'm gonna do I keep doing what I'm doing, or do I go change the clothes out of the out of the dryer? Or somebody, mm-hmm. the home telephone rings, or hey, I'm hungry, I'm bored, whatever it is. There's always something that you can be doing, and so that's a challenge. And that's that to me, that would be a key. In addition to be a challenge, if you look at a SWOT analysis, the opposite of that it is a challenge, but it's also the key to success if you can master that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Man. Oh, absolutely. I have the same challenges. I also home office right. and so you're subject to all of those distractions right so is there a tool uh one or two things that you do use practice wise as far as time management goes well how do you how do you manage your daily tasks for example you know i don't have a special tool i've, tr- I've tried a few things um you know i listened to a couple of podcasts and there's um evernote was one of them that i tried to help maybe help mm-hmm. manage my life a little better and i n- never ended up using it it's the easiest things um, you know, keep it simple. Seem to work out the best for for me. Outlook, sure. Outlook for for appointments and a yellow a yellow pad on my desk for everything else. And it's just a matter of of keeping keeping current on that. And every once in a while, I let it get kind of I let it overflow. But um, if I can if I can sit down and and the 
when I when I get to the point where I feel like I can't manage everything I have to do, and that happens occasionally, then I will I will write a list down. These are the things I have to get done today, and it's not partic- in any particular order. But um, and then I'll knock those out, and uh, and that makes me one. It makes you feel good that you've gotten something, that you've completed something. Um, two, you ensure that you do get every get everything done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, I do something similar. I also use Outlook for all of my scheduling, mm-hmm. and then I keep to-do lists and have various formats of how I've done that over the years. Okay. All right, well, let me shift gears now, Kit, and start looking at it from the perspective of our listeners who are possibly considering franchising their concept, their business, mm-hmm. their idea. Um, and I've asked this question of, of many different experts in the field, and that's what I want to ask you is what what do as a business owner, what do I need to think about and start planning for if I think I want to franchise my concept? Okay. So franchising your concept, you have to first you have to make sure that it's duplicable. It's can I take is this scalable? Can I take my concept and can I duplicate it? And really what we're trying to duplicate is not your business at all because your business doesn't do anything. The business doesn't make money. The customers make you money. And if I can satisfy, if I can deliver a service to a customer where they walk away and they feel really good about it and they go and they recommend me to others, then and then they come back. And then that's an experience. And if I can duplicate that experience, then I've got something that I that that's more likely to be a success in franchising. Of course, there are a lot of moving parts. Um, I'm by no means am I the world's leading authority on this either. Um, I'm giving you my from my takeaways from all the mm-hmm. people we've we've worked with franchisors across the board. And uh, and it's that customer experience. It's duplicating the customer experience that you have to be able to to do. Now, that's where we come in with manuals is be, is because we need to make sure that all the franchisees are singing off the same sheet of music. We need to make sure that they are all doing the things they need to do in order to deliver that consistent customer experience. Whether you're in Butte, Montana, Dallas, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, the customer walks in, they need to. Every time, walk away with that same feeling. That's that's to me the key to franchising. Can you do that? And then and then you then you start dissecting even more. Is this is what I'm doing something that's regional? That's only going to work here. It's only going to work in airports. Is it only going to work in universities? Or is it something we can put anywhere? Does it require how much? How much does it require down? You know, one of the big one of the big mistakes I think some people make are is I was operated my business on a bootstrap when I started, so I'm gonna make sure that all my franchisees don't have to spend a lot of money, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and they don't realize that not everyone is broke when they start, and uh, and so they don't require a lot of things. But um, you know you, you need to fig- you need to figure out is the service is the experience du- duplicable? Du- yep. Can you duplicate that? Yeah, and can you scale? Can you duplicate it? So that's that's huge. I have to imagine that as you start working with a client in creating the operations manual, you really begin to uncover the truth about whether they're ready or not. Do you, and when you find out, what do you do? Do you help them through that, or do you <laughs> step back, or how do you handle that? We are our company is very specific in what we do, and we document system standards, and so. I don't want to compete with a lot 
of people or companies that re- that refer business to us, which is consulting. However, it's impossible not to. And and so I don't compete with them on the front end where I don't try to steal business away from them on the consulting mm-hmm. part. But when we get in to do the manual, because we've been exposed to so many different – we've been intimately exposed to so many different operating systems. Uh, you know, Radio Shack, though all the corporate stores are down, all their franchisees, 1,400 of them are still running. Uh, Haagen-Dazs, um, um, Panda Express, some of the big ones – from those guys all the way down to you know even even in, internationally we've got uh, uh, bath fitters up in Canada, um, but all from there all the way down to the mom and pops we when you write someone's operating when you write someone's operating manual you really know a lot about their business it's more than just um, somebody that that's a, a passerby we have intimate knowledge of operating systems and so it's it's almost impossible not to not to be a consultant when we go in to write the operating manual and and I tell people I tell my clients if I had a nickel for every time I asked a question and they said we don't know and I wouldn't need to write operating manuals <laughs> and because we do uncover a lot of things that when you're running a business that's just you or you and your wife or whomever and you're going from that to franchising um you you can make a lot of requirements when you're the business owner you can say, you know what, everybody's required to wear one purple sock on one foot and one blue sock on the other, and you can do that in franchising too. But you can't require a franchisee to fire somebody. Um, you th- That's crossing a line that you got to be very careful so you don't get pulled into a lawsuit. So where you make requirements, where you make recommendations, um, how you do all that, it's just you don't even think about all the things that you need to put in a franchise operations manual. Pre-opening, everything about pre-opening. You know, you start your business and you finally get it get it open. You forget about all the stuff that you did in order to get there, to where you could open your doors for the for the first time. But when you're writing a manual, we've got to document every little detail. All right, sure. what did you do next? And so uh, we end up doing a lot of consulting. The clients come to us and say, we don't know. And we say, you know what, here's company A does it this way, company B does it this way, company C. We think you're kind of in the middle between company B and C, and we can we can help you produce a, a hybrid so that it will more reflect the way that you should be doing it. And so in that way, we do offer a lot of consulting. Excellent. And so you you work you'll partner with franchise consultants. Sometimes you'll delve into that. You'll work closely with them. Here's a, a question that came to mind as you were describing that. What has kept you from offering the full range of franchise consulting as well? Does this go back to your initial point about being focused about this niche that you're extremely good at and wanting to stay there? Is that part of it, or do you eventually might consider expanding? No, that's exactly it. Um, yeah. I want to be the best. I want to dominate my niche. I want to dominate it. And I, and you know, one of the selling points I have when people come to me and they've talked to another company, there are companies out there that do everything. They do legal, they do consulting, they do manuals, they do everything, sales. And and what happens is they 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 become a jack of all trades, master of none. And I want to be the master of manuals. And I feel like if we start spreading out too thin, that we will no longer be the master of manuals. 
and maybe it's a mistake on my part, but I don't think it is. So whenever we do add a service, and we have added a service, we you know we started off our flagship was manual production, where we actually produce. So we started off with just manual production, and that's where we actually produce an operations manual for our clients. And when, and eventually we we expanded out into more of a manual distribution product, where it's a it's a web based platform for for franchisors to deliver that fran- that franchise operations manual to their clients. But that product was so close, was so um, interwoven with manuals that I felt sure. I felt comfortable adding that to our product line. And there's there has been pressure from uh, some people to say, "Why don't you do some consulting?" and and uh, and it's it's difficult, you know, to to stay where you are and and stay on your track. I think you're spot on. I think this is a significant takeaway because this is something that small business owners, I think, struggle with a lot. I know that I do, and so that that determination to stay focused in this niche is what's led to your success. And I I think you're right on with making that still your focus. And you are the best at that particular thing. Um, And it might change later. You might have partnerships that might become tighter. You you might do different things. But I I think you're spot on with that. I I think that's perfectly explains why you have the success you've had with your company. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit more about that process. Is there is there anything more that we want to add to the process of a creating oh, sure. a manual Absolutely. That, that, that Fran Man addresses. What are, what are some of well, the other components we haven't touched not on? Not necessarily that Fran Man addresses, but if you want to know what you have to do, if you want to start, if you have a concept and you believe that you're ready to start franchising, then there are a couple of things you need to do. Uh, the first thing is to, if you can afford it, to find a franchise consultant that will, that will, Hold your hand as you as you <laughs> as you navigate the pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's somebody that's done it a hundred times already, they're going to do it more efficiently. They're going to pull you through more efficiently than you can do it all by yourself. And you know the two that I've interviewed on my podcast are two good friends of mine, Bob Gappa and and uh, Jerry Darnell, and they're both they're both um, great at their field, and they can walk you. They can they can help you through that. It does come at a cost. Um, if you can't afford that, then you definitely need to get a franchise attorney. Um, your franchise attorney is going to be the person that's going to help you create your your franchise disclosure document, which is also called an FDD, and and your and they'll help. They can help navigate you through um, some of these pitfalls as well. Um, your FDD is an interesting document, and that's almost the, an entire show all by itself. But the FDD, uh, the Federal Trade Commission, requires that every franchisor um, submit to prospective franchisees a document that is written with the same information in the same format so that franchisees, prospective franchisees, can look at two companies side by side and compare apples to apples. So item one in the FDD covers the same information. Item two covers the same the same topic. And uh, the Federal Trade Commission did that to protect prospective franchisees against unscrupulous franchisors back in the 60s and early 70s. Well, um, that document has evolved from a UFOC to an FDD, and so that's what you need your franchise um, attorney for. You can do that all by yourself. I wouldn't recommend it. And the second piece of that, which is an attachment to the FDD, which is your franchise agreement, that is the document that you do not want to skimp on for sure because that's the one you're going to enter into a 10-year relationship with a franchisor or um, your, with your franchisees. You want to make sure that that 10-year relationship, that's longer than many people stay married. 
<laughs> and so um, you need to be careful that you make sure you've got everything lined up. You got all your ducks in a row, and that and that that contract is well written. So you start off with a franchise attorney, or you can start off with the with the uh, operations manual guy. Both of them are going to force you to really analyze your business to find out exactly how um, how you do what you what you do, how you be, be, how you become a success. Because your franchise attorney is going to ask you a thousand questions about your business, so that he can make sure everything's represented in the FDD and the franchise agreement. Friend man is going to ask you a thousand questions, and and we're going to dig down deep into your business, how you do everything, what is it that you do, how do you deliver that, how do you consistently deliver that experience to the customer, so that they one return, two refer you to others. Yeah, it's a very thorough, comprehensive, professional process. Mm-hmm. And, and so let me ask you, you've addressed this, I believe, but why is it you think that your clients refer you to others? It's interesting. Um, we don't get a lot of that. We do get some. Now, there have been a few cases where a client calls us and says, and says, and when I'm talking about clients referring, uh, referring client referrals, I'm really, when I was talking about that earlier, I was talking about franchisors with their businesses. So mm-hmm. I walk into a snow cone place and I leave and I say that was the best experience. With our business, it's a little bit different. It's not so much. There's not so much an, an area or a venue where franchisors get together on a regular basis and say, oh, my gosh, you need to get your manual written by these guys. Um, but it does happen. It does happen, and that typically occurs at the International Franchise Association Convention. Um, it's, you know, that, ha- that occurs every February, and we've gotten business at the end of after that convention where people have called us up and said, boy, somebody mentioned you guys at a roundtable discussion. Um, but we do, like everybody else, we'll take testimonials from our clients and put them on the website. And anytime any prospective client wants to wants to be in contact with any of our previous clients, um, I will I will get their permission um, to have a prospective client call them, and then uh, they can talk and and uh, they they will refer us, they will recommend us because we do exactly what we say we're we're going to do. We're going to produce a a world-class custom franchise operations manual within a time period, and you're going to be happy with it, and we're not going to stop until you are. Uh, It's too easy to spend an extra week on a project to make sure that the client is completely satisfied, and and, and we'll we'll spend as much time as we need to. And that's that's why people recommend us, uh, because we we don't stop until until the customer's satisfied. Including, I'm assuming, franchise consultants are one source of business for you. They are. Send, they are. Sending people uh-huh. your way. They'll send. So we'll have some of the consultants. will I'll have. We'll have clients in common. Where a, sometimes a, a prospective client will call Franman first and say, "Hey, you know what? We need this," and so we'll be able to recommend them to a franchise consultant or a franchise attorney. Other times, a franchise attorney or a franchise consultant contacts us and says, "Hey, we've got a client. They need an operations manual." And uh, depending on the on the mo of the of the consultant, we may have to sell ourselves before. Other times, uh, they'll say, "You know what? We've got the manual for you. Here it is, and get to work." Yes, there's a it's a it's a relationship that's uh, mutually beneficial, and it works both ways. All right, let me shift gears again here as we begin to start to wrap it up. 
Um, especially, I think this question applies because you are a virtual company. Is there a technology, a tool that you all use in your business that has helped you um, scale, has helped you work together, especially in your distributed environment? Yes, but it's the same technology that everyone has available to them, like Skype, like Office. You know, we we use Microsoft Word probably, and I don't know. But I'm guessing we probably use 80% of it, where most people might scratch the surface and use mm-hmm. 10% of it. <laughs> so right, we, use, right. we use a lot of that technology. You know, you use the internet, you use email, um, because we can do that now. There was 20 years ago, we would not have been able to do what we do right now, mm-hmm. which we would have been mailing or mailing hard copies of manuals to clients that we printed up on a dot matrix printer. It's crazy. And so there's no special technology that we use. Um, we I digitally record all of our all of our site visits, and so we can transcribe those. And that's a technology that we use that kind of keeps us away from from analog kind of handwriting everything. But um, but there's nothing. There's no special app that we use. There's nothing for the iPad that we use that make that separates us. It's just utilizing current technology the best you can and uh you know with our online manual it's a web base it's like a wikipedia but it's for your operations manual well that technology already existed we just had to marry it with operations manuals sure and so there's nothing special that we do that we use that's that's um that was that was developed specifically for us okay no fair enough that makes sense um question is there a book or a resource, and it doesn't have to be on business, but uh, that, that you've read recently that you would recommend to our listeners? <laughs> I I like, and it's not a new book. It's E Myth. It's Gerber's E Myth. Um, that's a story about a a person, a lady with the pie shop. Have you read the book? Absolutely, okay. yeah. everybody. It's one of my yeah. one of my recommended books for all business. It really is. It really is. And so she's got this pie place, and and here is the consultant coming in and teaching her how to not be the technician, right? How to pull herself out of the business so that she can so that she can expand. And uh, you know, those are things that I struggle with every day. How do you how do you pull yourself out so that and and have Everything runs runs smoothly. So I love that book. I think that's a fantastic book, and it's well it's well written. Yeah. And so one of the main concepts of your touch as you're touching on is working on your business as opposed to in your business. Right. Uh, and so how how do you, you say you struggle with that? But how have you applied that in your business so that you're not the one that's doing all of the pies? Well, I you know what I haven't done pies. For a long time, <laughs> it's it's is the manual writing. I, I still do some manual manual writing, but I don't do all the manual writing anymore. So I brought in a guy named Gary Fieldson, who is the best at what he does, in my in my opinion, and uh, and uh, he's been with me probably since probably since about three months into the deal. He came in part time first, and he was transcribing audio files, and then worked him up to to uh, producing rough drafts and. And now he's a project manager, and he's I can I can leave, and he can go on a site visit and do the whole bit. Um, that's that's what I did in order to pull myself out of that level of it. 
and uh and you did that early on so you didn't you didn't struggle with oh only i can write it the best right you know what there was a time when i was feeling that way and that's and i still feel that and i still review every manual that goes before it goes out with very sure. few exceptions um but i'll review them and i do make changes and so i still feel that i that i'm really good and i i think that i'm the best at what i do um um, but I can train people to that, to do it as well, and um, and so Gary Fieldson is one of those is that's that's in my opinion in the industry, we, he and I are the best at what we do. So, but but I didn't really struggle with letting go of that so much. Uh, what's difficult is I have a passion for my business, for Friendman. I have a passion that nobody else has, and I, and as a result, I can present my company to prospective clients i can present it better than anybody and uh and what i'm struggling with right now is how do i take myself out of the sales position and i don't need to at this point but i will i want to just pull myself out of that sales position and and i hope that somebody else that that didn't live through the blood sweat and tears that i did when we're creating the company um how are they going to present that and feel as passionate you know we are the best and not just to say it but to mean it and to feel it and to have it come out and convey it to the client that's going to be where i'm going to really struggle yeah i'm so glad you're you're honest with sharing that kid because i think that's such a struggle for a lot of people listening the, the fortunate thing is you're able to focus on where you're adding the most value which is in in, in securing new clients and positioning your company You've delegated a lot of the stuff that maybe isn't as value add. You're injecting yourself where you do add value, like in a review or an edit process. But at some point, you're going to have to figure that next part of it out. That don't, it can't just be you selling it. That's something I would love to have you back on in the future. <laughs> and we can chat about that because it's such a struggle with so many people, I believe. That's right. um, a classic challenge uh, for small business owners who have to position their company. And like you said, you have that passion. You're the one that can position it the best. And you got to figure out now how to lead others to do the same. Well, you know, and franchisors have the same problem. Franchisors mm -hmm. have a business and they have literally created it from scratch. And then, and now they're going to, they're going to bring in a franchisee and the franchisee may or may not have the same vision for the direction of the company. And, and so they're handing their brand to somebody else. That's right. It's going to get diluted no matter what. Right? It is. And you've got to, that's, that's the thing you got to really care, be careful of. And you don't want to lose sight of the, of the potential and, and say, you know, I'm not going to do this or I'm going to be so sticky about it that we're not, the company won't ever be able to grow. But the same token, you don't want to lose the flavor. Yeah. It's that balance there. Fantastic. All right. Let me start to summarize this. This has been full of tremendous advice oh. and insights <laughs> and really this is this is fantastic um i'm going to highlight some of them here but you but you touched on so many of them and initially the limited hours in the day and having that control over the prospect of building your business i think that is a great way to encapsulate what i think motivates most of us who are either currently small business owners or aspire to become small business owners. It's that control, that freedom. But I, as I put it, are you creating for someone else or are you creating for yourself? And you can, creating could be anything, whether that's wealth or something or art or whatever it might be. But you felt that that control 
and someone else dictating how much you made X for X hours a day. You were trading hours for pay, and that, that drove you. And of course, you had those influences early on in your life from your grandfather and your father. Um, and then that there was a key thing as well, which is that confidence that came from partnering with your brother, and you were able to take that from him. He he gave you some great early advice there, which is so, you know, in sales, my background being in sales as well, it's that whole thing where I get up in front of an audience and, and I'm dreading that they're going to uncover me for the fraud that I think that I am, right? <laughs> but the reality is that we know more than most people in that audience. And if we don't, it's okay to say, you know, I don't know. Let me look into that. But when you walked into that, those audiences early on, you had three manuals on your belt, but that's three times more, if not more, than what the people in the room knew. Exactly. And you were still delivering value. And that confidence that you that your brother helped you instill was probably key, I think, as I was listening to, to your points. The customers make you money. That, that was a, a great quote that stood out to me as you're thinking about as a prospective franchisor. Uh, making sure you understand, like you said, it's not about the business, it's about the customer. And I think that's obviously driven your focus as well with how you treat your clients, that they, they are the reason you exist. And sometimes we lose touch of that. Um, and in this whole concept of focusing in this niche and being the best at one thing, I think that resonates tremendously with our listeners. And it's a good thing to think about because we get pulled, you know, I, I call it my shiny object syndrome where, Oh, what about that? Oh, let's get into that. Oh, let's, and you start to lose focus. And that's, I think when you lose quality as well, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to be creating show notes as we do for all of these episodes with a lot more insights and links to everything that you mentioned, uh, the books and the, and the other folks you mentioned who are franchise consultants. Let me Wrap it up uh, with a few last questions. First is I want to add, I got to think that your grandfather left you one or two nuggets that stand out in your head. <laughs> is there something that comes to mind that he said about business that you always remember? Let's see, a couple of things, a couple of one-liners. Uh, he said, as it relates to somebody's title on their business card, mm-hmm. uh, in PhD, etc. He says, Get, he says, the only thing... The only letters I want after my name on the business card are O-W-N-E-R. Nice. And uh, he says, and then the second thing was the three three most important words in any business are get the money. Love that. I love that. Yeah, that's. I, I figured he had these nuggets <laughs> <laughs> from what you had described. So a last question for you, and then we'll talk about how people can find you. Any last parting piece of advice, whether it's generally on business or on franchising in specific? Oh gosh, there's, I don't have anything new to add. This was a this is a quite thorough um, conver- conversation. Um, find a find a mentor. I would think is uh, my. Is my advice. Find somebody. You know, I read a quote the other day. It says, uh, "If you're if you're the most intelligent person in the room, then you're in the wrong room." Right. I love and that. so, find. To my opinion, my last piece of advice is find somebody who knows more than you are than you do, and and uh, and buddy up with them. Great. And then we'll include it in the show notes. But where can people find you and Franman? Uh, Franman's website is www.franman.net. Franman.net and Franman is short for Franchise Manual. And uh, while you're there, you can check out our manual production services. You can check out our online manual called Franman Online, which is our new flagship, which is going to take us into the next, into the next, to the next level. And uh, look at our 
podcasts like yours. Uh, there's really useful information from the Jerry Darnell podcast and the Bob Gappa podcast um, and our blog. But uh, yeah, that's where you that's where you can find us. Telephone number um, is written on the on the website, but it's two one four seven three six three nine three nine. Fantastic. And we'll include that also all in the show notes. Kit, thank you so much for your time. You're busy, as uh, most business owners are. I appreciate you carving out an hour here for me. It's my pleasure, Henry. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much. So, folks, thanks for listening to this latest episode of The How of Business. If you've been listening to us on iTunes, then we certainly appreciate your likes and comments or wherever else you're listening to this episode. And we look forward to sharing more knowledge with you on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.